0: We have a lot of Boy Scouts in this town. Raise your hand if you are involved in Boy Scouts or you were involved with Boy Scouts. I have a show of hands of any any Scouts here. Excellent. Would one of you like to remind the rest of us of the motto of Boy Scouts? I need someone to remind us. What's the motto for Boy Scouts? What? Be prepared. Excellent motto but for what? You have to figure out what you need to be prepared for in order to be prepared for it. I'm going on pilgrimage next Sunday for 12 days to the Holy Land, and I want to be prepared. The last thing I want is to get there and realize that I need a particular thing, and if only I had known, I would have brought it. So I went through my As I started to think about this, I thought, okay, in order to be prepared for a pilgrimage, I need my Bible and my journal. Check. I need some shoes that I can wear. It's a pilgrimage. do a lot of walking. Check. I need a camera to capture this or a video or something device. Check. But now what? What else do I need in order to be prepared? If you have been on any trip, you know about the lesson of being prepared. And it only takes one time of not being prepared to emphasize how essential being prepared is, right? You usually don't want to learn that lesson again. Today's parable in our gospel story is about being prepared. The king is throwing the wedding banquet for his son. The invitations were sent out a long time ago And now the meal is ready. So he sends his slaves out into the community to tell the people who have already been invited that the meal is ready. It is time to come. And they don't. So then he tells them, tell them, no, the meat is hot. It's actually on the table. It's ready now. The seats have been set. It is time for you to come. And still they don't. One goes to his farm. Another goes to his business. They have other priorities. Now remember, the king had sent out the invitation long ago. It wasn't that they didn't know that this was going to happen. And so he is enraged, the parable tells us. And he says, just bring anybody in now. The food is hot. We need people in these seats. And so the slaves go out and invite everybody, good and bad, into the wedding hall. And it is there that the king comes to find all the guests seated at the table, and he sees one person in particular who is not dressed for the occasion. And he asks him in a gentle way, Friend, how did you get in here without the right clothing? And the man is speechless. Our attention is drawn to this particular individual in this parable. We hang on to the very end right there, And when we learn that this particular individual was thrown out, bound, our attention is grasped. We get it. We know who we don't want to be in this story. Now, when Matthew is telling this parable of Jesus, people know who is who. They know the allegory of this parable. The king is God, and when God comes to reign, he will set a feast for all God's people. God's people is a specific people. The Hebrew people, the chosen people, they received the invitation a long time ago in Abraham. They are the ones invited to the feast. The Son is Jesus, the Christ, and they do not come, the Hebrew people. And so God invites all people to the table. This is where us Gentiles are glad. The invitation is now extended to us. And yet... When the king comes and finds one person not prepared for that feast, he asks him a question. Friend, how did you get in here without the right wedding robe? Now we might want to look at this parable and say, oh good, thank goodness we're not in the first group, we're in the second group. But we must be cautious. Because you see, when that parable was first told, there was a religious establishment. And now in our day and age, there is still a religious establishment. We understand ourselves to be part of God's called people. We understand ourselves to be part of God's chosen people. We are no longer the outsiders. We understand ourselves to be the insiders. And so our identity in this parable has shifted. But before I get to that, I want to stick with this one individual who came unprepared. Because he highlights for us the individual work of our salvation in this parable we our attention is drawn to the fact that he was not ready for the wedding banquet I find it fascinating in the parable story that the king is quite gentle in his question to this man friend he says how did you get in here without a wedding robe it's a simple question he's actually invited to answer what might his answer what could it have been? Maybe he thought he would say, I didn't have time to go home. Maybe he could have said, It's ripped and it needs to be repaired and I just didn't have time. Maybe he could say, It was dirty. He could have given an answer. And yet he is rendered speechless. He has no answer. We are drawn to this particular individual in this parable story. Because the point needs to be made that our salvation is ours to work out individually. With fear and trembling, as Paul writes to the church in Philippi earlier in this letter to the Philippians. Our own salvation, it's for each of us to work out with fear and trembling. I can't do that work for you. You can't do that work for me. It's what each of us must do on our own. And so we are invited to consider how well we are prepared to receive the goodness of God. How well are we prepared to receive the goodness that God wants to give us? I will say, though, that my attention was drawn to the first portion of this parable, the religious establishment part. The religious establishment is definitely alive and well. It looks different than it did look in 70 AD. But here we are, a religious establishment. And here I am, the leader of a religious establishment. And I began to think, how might I help through this religious establishment? How might I help you be prepared for the invitation, to respond to the invitation that has already been given to you in Christ? I would like to think that if a constant contact email showed up in your inbox and it didn't say St. Stephen's Church, but it did invite you to the wedding banquet, that you would recognize it. Oh, I really, really hope you will. I feel like in some ways I'm a coach that needs to help you get suited up for the game because the game's going to be called any minute. And the last thing that needs to happen when we're alerted that the game is on is that you say, oh my gosh, I don't know where my cleats are. We don't have time for that. We have to be ready, collectively ready, for what God wants to give us. The grace, the goodness that God wants to give us, we have to be prepared. I heard a joke yesterday about Kansas. There was a drought in Kansas. And the farmers were distressed, the whole community, because of the drought. Crops were not growing. They needed rain. And so, even though they had prayed for rain day in and day out, they decided to hold a prayer service at their church. The pastor said, Let's come together. We're going to pray for rain. We're going to have a service dedicated to praying for rain. And so they did. And everyone came together inside of the church walls and prayed for rain. And at the conclusion of that lengthy prayer service, when the praying all seemed to be done, they began to exit the church. And just as they were, the clear sky clouded over and rain began to fall. And they looked at one another and said, well, now what do we do? And a young person reached down and pulled out her umbrella and put it up and walked out. How are we prepared as St. Stephen's Church, as the body of Christ, for the goodness that God wants to give us. It's a collective effort and one that I value highly. I've told God that I won't refuse anything. However it comes, I want to use it in service to God. That's where my attention was drawn in this parable this morning. And so how is it that we need to be prepared? What is the judgment that will be rendered, as we saw in this parable this morning, the judgment in that that individual was not dressed for the goodness that he was to receive? Well, we can look ahead to the 25th chapter of Matthew. In that chapter, there are three parables, and the two two of them have to do with judgment. The first parable is about the ten bridesmaids who are awaiting the bridegroom's arrival. This is the one where half of the bridesmaids have oil in their lamps and the other half do not. And that parable is about being prepared for the unexpected but certain arrival of the bridegroom. The second parable is the parable of the talents. A talent was worth about $1,000 at that time. And in that parable, the person who has the talents gives them to his slaves in his departure. He entrusts them with them. He gives to his slaves one ten talents, another five, another one, each according to their ability, and he goes out. When he returns, as you might recall, he asks to meet with each of those slaves with whom he had trusted his talents. The one person who had the ten talents multiplied it. The other who had gotten the five talents multiplied it. But the one who had the one talent had dug a hole and buried it. He says to the person who had entrusted him with it, I know how hard you work, and so I did not want what you had worked so hard for to be lost. And if you remember that story, that parable of the talents, the person who who owns all the money says to him, if you knew how hard I worked, why did you bury it? Why didn't you at least put it in the bank where it would have drawn interest? And the judgment is made. His is taken away from him and given to the one with ten talents. The other parable in that that chapter in Matthew is about the sheep and the goats, the separation of those who have done the work of the kingdom from those who have not. And you have heard this one, of course, not only throughout your life in the church, but even in our life together this year. This is the story in which they come before the king And the king says to them, you remembered me when you fed the hungry, when you clothed the naked, when you visited those in prison, when you gave homes to those who had no shelter. And they said, when do we remember you? And that's when the king says, when you did it to the least of these, you did it for me. We have been remembering that passage of scripture throughout this year, and it was on the cover of your fall message that you hopefully received a few weeks ago. God will render judgment. That judgment, our salvation, is ours to work out with fear and trembling. But how is it that we as a community, St. Stephen's Church, can give us practice in working out our own salvation? How can we collectively as a community learn to do what is valuable in the eyes of God with all that we have, our time, our talent, and our treasure, everything we have? I had a wonderful visit yesterday with Joyce Nelson. I don't know how many of you know her, but she is probably in her 90s. She is the first and the only female senior warden this church has had from 1985 to 1991. And as we were talking together, she was talking about how much she enjoyed her work as the senior warden. She said, I always wanted to remember how much we had As St. Stephen's Church, all of the resources that we had so that we could use them in service to God. She talked about the talent that she found in the people here, and this was from 1985 to 1991. Some of those people aren't even around anymore. I would say that none of the people in leadership then are in leadership now, at least not in that same way. She was so effusive in her expression of love for this church, that I said, Joyce, I have to tell you my sermon for tomorrow. You're saying the words that I'm saying. And we remembered together the goodness of God made known in this place, that that goodness of God, we must be prepared to use in service to God in a way that glorifies God. We were talking with each other about God's work here in a similar way that I felt as Paul talks about the church in Philippi. I love the first portion of this passage that we have appointed for today. Paul's letter to the church in Philippi was written while he was in prison. And he says to them, My brothers and sisters whom I love and long for, my joy and my crown. He loves the church in Philippi, how it is that they reflect the goodness of God, and he calls them to continue to do so as a unified body, remembering that they are a collective whole. And in order to do that, he reminds them of specific things. He tells them to rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say it, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to everyone. Or as that word can be translated, let your forbearance be known to everyone. The Lord is near. Do not worry. Do not worry about anything, but in everything With prayer and supplication, make your requests known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Do you recognize that passage of scripture? Said so often from the altar by priests all around the Episcopal Church. And then he reminds them that whatever is true or honorable, just, and pure, whatever is pleasing, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, and if there is anything worthy of praise, think on these things. These are his instructions to them about how to be the body of Christ in Philippi. And he reminds them out of his love for them. We are called to the same thing. We get the chance to practice as a collective whole how it is to live into the work of God in Christ in this place so that we get to practice as individuals how it is to be faithful responders to the goodness of God. We get to practice our preparations for responding to what God longs to give us. We've done this in our community dinners. I mentioned my desire to see us learn how to welcome the hungry among us by doing it together here, since very few of us open our doors to someone who knocks asking for food. And if we should happen upon someone or someone should happen to our door asking for food, we would probably give it to them and send them on their way. But we get to practice a faithful response to God's goodness together in our community dinners. We get to think about how it is that God has invested in us and how we invest in God's work in us by our contributions, our our financial contributions together. What do we want God to do with that? And will God help us learn how to be faithful responders to God's goodness as we work to do that together? This is God's invitation to us. God has so much goodness to give. The invitation has already been sent. We already received the invitation. In Christ. And so now we must be prepared. Because at some time, unexpected to all of us, the announcement will be made. The table has been set. It's time to come. And we want to be prepared to receive what God has to offer us. Amen.